As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Seven fifty-five is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty is on the air now. Welcome back to 755 is Real. I'm David O'Brien, Braves writer at The Athletic. And we got a very special show today. I got my cohorts from the Braves Beat, Justin Toscano from the AJC, and of course, Mark Bowman from uh, MLB.com, who I've worked with for a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Justin's been a lot. That's yeah. true. That's pretty I mean, close. It's pretty close. I think when you guys started working together, God, I was like four years old. I don't know. Okay. All right. We don't need to hear all that. <laughs> it's, it's alarmingly close. It's kind of crazy. What'd you say, Bo? I thought, I thought he was going to say, you know, God had just created the universe or something like that. I didn't know where he was going with that. <laughs> well, before we get started, Justin, what would you say? Because Justin came from uh, the Mets beat, believe it or not. I mean, talk about an upgrade, Jesus. But um, what would you say is the coolest part or the best part of going to this beat other than working with two much cooler beat writers than you had when you were covering the Mets? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speak for yourselves. (laughs) Um, Honestly, like being able to cover the players and the games, I mean, I, I just felt like there were so many messes over there. Like you just have to like one day you're covering the manager yelling at a reporter. The next day it's yeah. like the manager who's been on the job for two weeks gets fired. The next day it's like the GM who's been on the job for a month has some bombshell story come out. And it's like here it's just like yeah. <laughs> everything, everything runs like it should for for the, <laughs> for the most part. So I think it's like, yeah, it's nice to – uh it's nice to do the job without all the other stuff. Yeah. Eric and I have talked about, cause Eric pitched for several teams, including the Mets. <laughs> and we've talked about the difference in a clubhouse. And even when he was in with the Mets, I don't know if it's as bad now as it was then, but there was that kind of that us against them mentality between the media and the players. And people don't understand because they've, it's always been like this with the Braves, really. I mean, so Braves fans really don't know. Right. I don't think what there's like to have that, that kind of uh, uh, dynamic, that negative dynamic between the media and the team and how that can skew stories and all that. When people are pissed off, whether they be the writers or the players, when they're pissed off that the other people, 
you know, don't want them doing their job. I think it kind of colors some stories and that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. There's some stuff like, look, and there's nothing against people there, but I mean, it's like the tabloids, right? Like the back pages, like it's always kind of been like that. And I think um, it makes it tougher to get to know players on a personal level. Right. And do like the jobs we do, like the certain, you know, feature stories or this is just a more, the Braves clubhouse is a more intimate environment, which I feel like allows, like it colors the parts of the job. I always liked more better than the New York market did. And it was right. an awesome experience like to be there, but yeah, I do right. think that, and look like the thing that people don't understand is that so much of that cloud that exists in New York is because of like the, the fans too, man. Like this isn't the 19, the, what I learned there is like talking to players. This isn't the 1960s, man. Like they don't want to be booed just, just because you play in New York like that, that has an effect. Like I've seen, like I've talked to remember like talking to one guy who, you know, used to play for the Mets and he was like, we were at Truist park and it was like, he noticed like, I'm trying to Austin Riley was one for 20 at the time and still getting cheers when he went up. He's like, dude, if I go four for five, but that fifth at bat comes in the ninth, yeah. and I don't come through like I get booed. And I think people don't understand like how much that fan support means to these guys. And it's like you would you would call it soft or like maybe it just reflects the new age of players. But like they don't some players nowadays, it's like everybody always asks, like, oh, can you play in New York? Can you do this? Can you handle it? Like some guys don't want to do that. In right. fact, a lot of guys don't want to do that because the feeling in the Mets clubhouse for years and like this is no secret is always that no matter how well things are going, like the other shoe is going to drop at some point. And so much of that has to do with the whole like the entire negativity in the market. And I, I don't think it's understated at all. Yeah. yeah, I think every market is different, too. I mean, what one place views as soft and other will view as it's funny, like St. Louis, there's not a, there's not a, a, this year they're having a shitty season, but their fans routinely and, and, and every day cheer their players and cheer the opponent when the opponent does something good. And they very, very rarely boo their players. And even in this year, that's everything's gone wrong for them this year. So some people might look at that soft. Other people generally call them the best baseball market in the country because they're great fans. And then another place they might call it soft because the fans don't boo their players. And other, and then they call it a place like Philly, you know, where they routinely boo their players as being overly negative. So I don't know. I think it's just perception more than anything. But they're different. There's different attitudes in the stands for sure. And I think the the players, it really helps when it comes to free agency. Uh, with players wanting, or, or, or especially with players signing long-term deals when they want to be somewhere. And I think that's, we've seen that with the Braves repeatedly signing these guys to these team-friendly deals. So much of that has to do with them wanting to be here. The Mets are signing guys to under-market deals for eight years. Yeah. Now you yeah. talked about the Philadelphia market. Just think about what happened there the last two years. Bomb has that rough night, comes out, says what he says. They're supporting you know, he has a, a a good season last year. We see what happened with Trey Turner a couple of weeks ago. You know, he's struggling. They planned that standing ovation. He right. got going again. It, 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 there, there is something, what you said to that, Justin. There, there, it's legit. And like Dave said, the players enjoy playing here. They enjoy playing for Bobby Cox. They enjoy playing for Brian Snicker. But they also enjoy this fan base. You know, it's uh, whether it was Sheffield or so many other guys just said, you know, how much they enjoyed their time here. Yeah, you know what I think is interesting is I think so much of the Philadelphia and New York market 
is being willing to say the right things. And granted, that's tougher to do when you're 0 for 15 and getting booed and you're like, dude, I hate it here. And like, it stinks. But I, I think so much of it is like people just want accountability. And I think people in the Northeast are very smart baseball fans for the most part. And like, I think they like, they literally just want accountability and they want you to say, look, I sucked. This is what happens. You know, I'm sorry. Like, I, I understand why everybody's mad at me. I think they really push back when there's a sense of uh, just sugarcoating unrealistic, you know, expectations. I think I remember in that 21 season, my last year on the Mets beat, it was like, and you guys remember this well, because this was the World Series season. The Mets go out to an early lead. The Braves look terrible for the first probably more than half of the season. And I mean, as the Mets started going down and down and down, it was like every night on Zoom, it was Pete Alonso and other guys saying, look, we're going to figure it out. Like, we're not worried. We'll play our best in September when it matters, this, that. And the fans, I remember, just like did not want to hear it at a certain point. I remember Pete Alonso, after a loss one time, came on Zoom in Philly when the Mets got swept and they were out of first place and the Phillies were in first place for a couple of weeks. Pete Alonso comes out and says, look, like it's a game like this doesn't even matter. Like we're playing a game like we're not going to worry. That is like the exact opposite thing that you should say in the New York market. And I think so much of it is like, yeah, like just saying the right things as hard as it might be in the moment. I think if some guys know how to play the market correctly and know how to you know, deal with it and actually want to deal with it. Other guys don't, but I do think it is interesting. It's like, yeah, you guys have probably heard throughout the years I have the past couple. It's like people, yeah, actually do want to play here. Yeah, and, and it's like uh, saying the right thing. A lot of that, I think, is tempered too by or colored by what I was talking about, that us against them mentality. A lot of them, you get a resentment when, from players, like with the Mets or, or the Phillies are going south. You get, a, you get a resentment from the players when a reporter asks a question. That is pretty much putting a ball on a tee. It's easy to knock it out of the park and say, yeah, we're sucking right now. But instead, you get that resentment kind of like, uh, you know, that's a clown question, bro. <laughs> Everybody laughed at it, but that it, but it showed there's that back and forth, that agitation. But with the Mets, and that was with the Phillies, but with the Mets, you always seem to get that, who are you to ask me that? Are you out? You don't understand or that kind of thing. And fans don't want to see that because we're there, you know, as a liaison between the fans and the players. So I think the fans really appreciate it when the players, like when the Braves suck, you don't hear Spencer Strider make excuses. You know, you don't hear Charlie make excuses. You hear him say, I stunt tonight, you know, that kind of thing. And that's what players, that's what fans want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. You, you want accountability. And I think that, you know, yeah, every once in a while we have to, you know, write, you know, things that a player doesn't, if you're pointing out their struggles and stuff like that, you know, they don't want to read that. But, you know, you go back to, you know, how I pissed Marcel off earlier this year, you know, what, what I'm writing. And, you know, it did look like he was close to being released. And he, he takes takes off. And, um, you know, I mean, the, the one thing I'd say is he's had, he's had tremendous production here for the last couple months. But you guys have seen it as well. It's it, This guy's a, a good guy in the clubhouse, a Absolutely. great influence in there. Yeah. Whether it's Matt Olson or Michael Harris – doesn't matter what age, you know, experience, you know, this guy has been a good example. And, and, and I, and that's great. I, I don't want to say we were proven wrong, but I mean, this is the kind of stories that, you know, Hey, look, yeah, the guy's made some mistakes in the past, but redemption stories are pretty good as well. And not only is he hitting, you know, you know, as, as well as 
anyone could have expected over the past three months, but this guy has had a significant positive influence in that clubhouse. Yeah, I think uh, people, um, and I understand completely, especially some some people from outside will not separate the baseball from the person and what they do away from the ballpark. And I understand that. But when we say a guy's a good guy in the clubhouse, we're not making an evaluation of his life away from the field because we don't know enough about it other than the terrible things, the couple of things he, was ale- he allegedly did. There's, there's no excuse for those things. We're not commenting on that when we say what he is, a positive influence on his team, because people assume that a guy's a cancer because he sucks one year or because he does something stupid off the field or all that. And sometimes the guys they think are the team leaders because they smile a lot on the field or they sign autographs. Those guys aren't leaders at all. And the guys they think are the cancers, like they used to think Dan Ugla was a cancer because he was terrible that year. It couldn't have been further from the truth. Everybody in the clubhouse loved him. And Ozuna, I've never seen, even at his worst times, the days when he came back to the ballpark after being in jail at four in the morning, nobody kind of went, what the, what's that guy doing here? I mean, his, his teammates still like him, and he still hasn't brought that stuff into the clubhouse. Yeah, I know. I, I think, um, and you guys have seen it too, I think it's difficult sometimes for fans to understand that when we're doing our jobs, like we're just writing about Marcelo Zuna, for example, having a good game. It doesn't mean that you're trying to write his redemption story for him. You're trying to tell people that how they should feel about him. It just means like you're doing the job and you're talking to, you know, because it's that's what we hear. Like we've all heard that, that he's a great guy in the clubhouse. And that can be true. Like multiple things can be true. And I think the context and the nuance gets lost in our world these days, especially with social media. Right. And I think like. Look, that's okay. Like fans can feel however they want about him because that's yep. not for us to tell people. Like I totally understand if somebody doesn't even want to look at the baseball stuff and just wants to look at the off-field things, like be my guess. Like I wouldn't blame you. Like fans can do whatever they want. And I think like we, you know, they deserve to have that agency as well. But I also think it's worth knowing that um yeah, sometimes it's like I think there are some people who will get upset if you post a story on Marcelo Zuna because they think you're absolving him when that's right. not the case. Like you're literally just saying like, Hey, like Michael Harris said he helped him with this or right. Matt Olson said he helped him with this. Like it's worth noting just as you would uh, for everybody else. And, and I think what Bo mentioned is interesting. Like some of those redemption stories, the way we cover guys, cause I'm curious how you guys do it. But I I've always thought like if you're in a clubhouse you talk to somebody if they're doing poorly, you talk to them when they're doing well. And if you're going to write something either way, you just talk to them. And I feel like for me, that's helped me at least establish some consistency where guys like know where you're coming from. Like, Hey, he's going to talk to me when I'm struggling. He's going to ask me stuff when I'm doing well. And at least I think if you're fair, it works out. And I think it probably works a little better in our market that way, because there are only three of us that are full time. So there aren't, there, there aren't a lot of, you know, stragglers for lack of a better term, or they know us pretty well. And there's not a lot of other people impacting our perception, like to the players at least. Um, and I think it helps us kind of achieve at least like some sort of balance with them. Cause they're only yeah. three. It can work both ways too, because there's only three of us that are every day on the road and go on the road, travel with the team. all that. So there's nowhere to hide either. So if you are unfair or whatever, you're going to stand out. Right. But I think uh, I think what you're saying is so true. The players, man, for the most part, the players just want you to be fair. Yeah. So they want the guys that are sucking, 
They want you to write that they're sucking right now or point out that they had a bad night. Don't play favorites because it's easy to have favorites like Freddie Freeman, you know, such a great guy. It's such a, it, but so when Freddie Freeman has a long stretch, so you got to point out that he's sucking right now. And if you don't, if guys, I think guys lose respect for you when they don't, when they think you're playing favorites, you know, when they think, because this guy talks to you all the time, you only point out as positive. And because this guy may be a little acerbic or, you know, be a little uh, rough around the edges, you don't point out when he does something good. I think players notice that stuff, and that's the last thing you want is to be viewed as unfair about players. No doubt. It's a good uh, example with Freddie. We didn't see him struggle a lot, but there that last year, 2021, remember he got off to the rough start there for yeah. a little while. And and we were saying Freddie's not himself. Well, that's that's something that, you know, fans could see that on TV too, but we also we know Freddie. Um, you know, so – we, we kind of can see that it just didn't feel like there were some things that, that were off. And when you go and ask Sid, he's not going to say it, even if he's seeing it. it right. You know, other players. So, you know, the one thing in this era, people have either watched the game, seen the highlights. Our job is to kind of tell them everything that they didn't see, you know, when they get in the clubhouse. And I think that's what we were kind of doing there with Freddie saying, hey, look, he he's not himself. He was missing his family. He was, uh, he, you know. And retrospect, he admits he, or not, uh, or after the fact, he said, you know, he was a little bit pissed off that he didn't yeah. have a contract there. So, you know, we got to kind of, it's our job to, to paint the picture of what we see inside that clubhouse. It's, that's the one thing fans can't see anymore. There was a time when sports writers told them what happened at the ballpark because nobody could see what happened at the ballpark. Now we have to tell them, tell that story about the players. And that's, you know, that, that's our responsibility. Let's hear from today's sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. I almost think it's so important to go to like both sides of it. Like you guys know AJ Minter, best guy to talk to on the record, off the record, like super easy to deal with. So like, yeah, of course it brings me no pleasure when he stinks at the beginning of the year to have to be like, I think there was a day when both of you guys were off and I might've been like the only one with, you know, some other people, the only full-timer there. And like, 
talking to him after that Miami game or something like that. Like, but then you got to talk to a guy after he does well too. And I think it's just that balance. Like, and I think that it's stuff that you would never know before you actually did this full time. You would never know that you had to balance, like just like both sides of it. Because I think players do notice that they're like, dude, this guy's always over here when I stink. But when I'm like, I have right. a couple saves, like, He's nowhere to be found because then they think you're just trying to get the controversial like dirt, right? Gossip, and it's like I think it's so important. So yeah, there were a couple like I don't know, and you guys have I'm sure done it gazillions of times where it's like you might not even be writing that much about a certain guy after a win, but if you talk to him after some of his struggles, you got to talk to him after he does something because it's like you just have to be fair. And I think if people by and large what I've learned and you guys have been doing it a lot longer but I think if players know that you're just going to be fair and you're just going to be balanced and you're going to call it how it is and they come to expect that from you then there should be no issues and sometimes as we've all learned like even when we are writing about their struggles yeah they might be pissed like they might give us side eye when we ask questions or they might not like the questions like that's okay they just you know it's a tough right. game they just got done playing whatever it might be a lot of times it doesn't have anything to do with us is what I've learned. Like there's so much that goes on in their lives and goes on behind closed doors in that clubhouse that we would just not be privy to. We're just the liaison. Like, you know, you said, Dave. Um, but yeah, I, I think that is like Bo's point is interesting. Cause yeah, you have to almost give them, give fans the color because yeah, everybody sees the box score. Everybody can go on the ESPN. App. Yeah, everybody's seeing the highlights now. And most, yeah. of the time, yeah, most of the time in real time, even if they're watching a game, they're going to see the highlights media. on Twitter or they're going to see, you know, so yeah, to, to describe what happened is kind of the next day is kind of pointless. So yeah, you have to, you have to take advantage of the access we have, which is better in baseball than any other sport, as far as being able to, every day talk to players and have relationships with them and know them and have them tell you stuff on and off the record, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah. Um, and it's changed over the years. The job certainly has got, but it's funny about closers, especially newer closers. They might get pissed because you only go to them when you bone saves. But I think as they get older, they understand it's kind of like being an offensive lineman. You're not going to go talk to an offensive lineman after a game, unless they give up a sack, you're not going to go talk to a closer unless they blow the save because they're just doing their job. I mean, I mean, that's just it. But, uh, but yeah, that some of them do get upset when when they only go to them after they've blown the save. But it's just part of the job, man. Smolsey didn't understand because you talk to him after every start. But Smolsey, we're not going to talk to you after every save. You say fifty games, we're not going to come up to you after every game. Well, how'd that go? You one, two, three inning. Did, did you did you guys find it funny that uh, that last year and Kenley's only year with the Braves? Every time he would uh, he would have a rough one or would blow a save, he'd literally be sitting at his locker. Oh, it was you, great, you man. No, you could know zero about his previous background or where he'd been. You could have guessed that he played in LA or New York because he'd just be sitting yeah, there. He games. Yeah, he was great. He was great. Yeah, he was super. Like you guys said, it. you know, some of the tough ones, Seattle, that one last year, he, he was always accountable. And then Dave and I remember, you know, some, some closers are a little different. Bob Wickman would stand in his locker like this. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, and there's been players too, position guys that have been like that. You know, that resent you coming up to them and talk. We've been lucky with the Braves because we've had so few guys, and I think the culture has been set from the top down. Back going back, you know, from from Bobby Cox to Snit, those guys are like that. But players wise, when the young players come into a clubhouse and they see going back in the day, they see. 
John Smoltz and Tom Glavin and Greg Maddox handle, talking to the media after games and Chipper Jones talk. They say, oh, that's how it's done. Whereas, you know, you know, when 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 Alex came in, he got rid of Matt Kemp right away. I mean, because you don't want a guy setting the culture for you, especially for a young team. You don't want a guy doing and, and nothing against Matt Kemp. He was a great player in his day. But you don't want the the highest paid biggest name on the team doing things that you don't want the young players to do. You want the guys setting the culture when your superstars are Freddie Freeman, you know, or Matt Olson now, you know, or Austin Riley. You want the young guys following their lead or Acuna. You know, you want that you want them following the lead, hustling, answering questions, you know, not avoiding the media, not being a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we we've been so lucky, like you said. I mean, in terms of Hall of Fame players, each of those guys you mentioned, Glavin Maddox, both first ballot, and they would also be first ballot uh, media friendly as well. They they set the example. They were accountable. You know, that's back in the day where, you know, you, everyone, it was long before social media. If we wanted to talk to each other, we called each other on the phone or, you know, it's before texting everything. Yeah. You, you could talk during the winter freely. You, you always knew what was going on. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, the landscape's changed a little bit with social media and how everyone can get can talk to each other. But those guys, um, you know, it was as <clears throat> the Bobby Co- Bobby Cox influence, but it's also, um, you know, I got to think Dale Murphy had a little bit of influence too, just intersecting with uh, Gladwin and Smoltz. And you know, you're not going to find a better guy than, than Dale Murphy. We, we've been very, very fortunate here in this city. Yeah, I, and when they've had a bad guy who's not, you know, who just does the wrong things, says the wrong things, has uh, terrible <laughs> opinions that the team does not want representing it, <laughs> that guy tends to be gone within a couple of years, even if he's really good. And if he's not really good, he's gone a lot sooner than that. I, yeah. I think it's wild that you guys probably talk to, you know, as I do, like other people around the league, other beat guys and, and girls that, like, you know, they cover other good teams like ours and always talk about how crotchety the superstars are. And it's hilarious to me that we cover a team that's about to win 100 games for the second year in a row, and our superstars, our guys to talk to are Austin Riley, Matt Olson, Michael Harris, Ronald Acuna. Like, I I don't think there's an issue in that clubhouse. Like, And I came from somewhere where it was like, there were crotchety veterans. Like, it was sometimes difficult to do the job. And, like, I have never had an issue walking up to, like, any of those guys in that clubhouse. And I don't say that. Like if I, if I felt a different way, I would just say it because the people deserve the truth. <laughs> if they're tuning in to watch three writers talk about the Braves and covering baseball, but I, I we're super lucky because it is not it's, like this. And it's time. not a coincidence. It's not no. a coincidence that they're about to win two hundred games for the second year in a row. And they have that clubhouse you're talking about. Cause it's all about the chemistry we've talked about. And Eric has been on here. We've talked about it so much. The chemistry has been obviously the talent is the most important thing, but the chemistry has been a huge factor in the Braves' run of going on six straight division titles this year. Without great chemistry, they don't win a couple of those titles. They don't win the World Series for sure without great chemistry that year. They don't reel in the Mets last year. Ten and a half down at the end of May, most teams would have folded. They don't reel in the Mets past them the last week, and you know it didn't end the way they wanted it to. But that was a lot more to do with injuries and a guy being sick. You know, two pitchers, your two best pitchers, not right. being at one hundred percent than anything else. I got a yeah. question for you guys, and I hope I'm not putting you guys on the spot. So feel free to 
to wriggle out of it however you want because this is live. Who's the toughest guy you guys have ever had to deal with? Dave, I know you were on the Marlins beat before, but who's uh, who was that one guy that you guys were always like gritting your teeth going up to his locker? Well, I'd, I'll say on the Marlins because I'll let Bo, we agree on the Braves, I think. The, the, <laughs> the few There's only been a few with the Braves that have been hard at all, and they haven't been – for the, for the most part, the superstars. And that camp was not a – he could be he could be charming and funny at times, but if things weren't going his way, you know. Anyway, but the guy, when when I was coming to Marlins, they brought – the guy that was so surprised, they brought Devon White in. And he had had a great reputation in Toronto. He was a leader. He was a really good player and all that, gold glove center fielder. And they brought him in. And he wasn't the same guy. He was at the end of his career. He wasn't the same player anymore. He wasn't the same outfielder anymore. He's still good, but he wasn't – elite like he used to be he made a he made he missed a catch at the end of a game that cost him a game I mean, it, was, it led him to run and we go to his locker afterwards we're standing there you know it's like four people we're standing there and he knows we're there he's got his back to us he knows we're there and then he turns he acts surprised with their work there and he was like what do you guys want to talk to me for we're like well you missed a catch cost him the game and he said he'll never forget he said most guys don't even get to that ball to try to make that catch. And you're asking me about missed catch. And we're like, oh, my God. Oh, but that God. was just kind of the guy he was for the year he was there. Then he was gone. But <laughs> there haven't been many guys like that that I've had to deal with. Well, what, well who have been some of well, You mentioned Wickman. <laughs> yeah, Wickman was tough. I mean, yeah, you never made it to know him. I mean, he, Comically he acerbic. <laughs> yeah, there was one episode that Dave and I saw after a uh, doubleheader there in Philadelphia where we were interviewing a player, and he's just talking to himself. Behind us, I'm sure he'd had one, two, six, seven, twenty beers <laughs> in between games. But I mean, it's just he was, he was a different breed. Uh, um, you know, we don't want to say the things he was saying. Yeah, I'm not going to say that. You know, <laughs> you know? the uh, and then the uh, you know you you know Escobar was tough. I mean, he was really tough for us to deal with just because he didn't want to get to know anybody. Didn't right. want to fit in um you know and that you saw it's kind of like what you said you know bobby's way was you know and he rubbed some players the wrong way too yeah yeah and, and i remember some stupid things he was incredibly talented he never just kind of wanted to blend in he just right. always kind of wanted to be on the outside that was crazy i mean that he grew up was across the street from brian Pena, who was the greatest guy that you'll ever meet you know and i get it he could be Best friends with somebody grow up and they turn out different, but they were they were completely opposite. Yeah. Um, you know, the the one guy that probably bothered me as much as anybody, and I told Nick Markakis this one time. And it was Jim Johnson was very gruff. I mean, he we knew he didn't like us unless right. he was in the airport and wanted to talk to Dave about used cars or whatever, old cars. But you know, just in the clubhouse. But then you had Jason Grilly who acted like he was just happy. And, uh, you know, he was everybody's this, yeah. friend. but it, it was phony and I don't like phony. And I, yeah. so he's probably the one guy that I just, I didn't like being around him after a while. He, he, it was at first you're like, Oh, this guy's great. And then after a while you're like, what a phony. And you know, there was one incident where I wrote, it was a blog. It's still up there. You know, it's sit, sitting there if you want to go find it. And I basically was saying that Freddie Gonzalez didn't have much of a bullpen. And so I was saying that, he was playing blackjack with only sevens and eights. So in other words, he's getting 14, 15, or 16 every time. And I I wrote that. It's a whole thing. It was explained. It was kind of a credit, actually, to Jim Johnson and, and Grilly. 
Well, I tweeted it. I said, this is the point of the game in the middle of this game that, you know, Freddie Gonzalez has to put, start playing with nothing but sevens and eights. So somebody must have had a phone in the, the, the bullpen or something. We're, we're interview, interviewing Manny Benuelos after his first win. And these guys are other clubhouse or at the other end of the clubhouse going, sevens and eights, sevens and eights, and all this, and, you know, inter- interrupting. And, yeah, and I just, I don't know. bad. Awkward, awkward moment. Yeah, Nick Massett, who, you know, he was gone two days later when he came and tried to kick a door. Or it was just like unnecessary that. completely. Yeah. It was really yeah. childish. But yeah, anyway. it's, it's right. I, I'd say, you know what? He's probably the player I didn't really just, I, I was happy to see him go. You know, that, that was a rough time for, you know, the rebuild's never easy. And, you know, I, I don't think he was the positive influence that maybe people thought he was. There's been a few of those guys that you th- that and not like that, but that that people thought were you know the team leaders and all that. Like I said, yeah. and then other guys they think must be bad in the clubhouse, and it's the total opposite. Yeah, you just I mean, don't know from watching on TV. You can tell a lot about some players, but other players it can be a, a, the wrong perception entirely from just watching their actions on the field and with smiling a lot. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. And like I said, I said Tony's I said, are the worst, though. I agree. Yeah, I'd rather just the guy be an asshole to me if that's what he's going to be. Then, then I'd act. rather Jim Johnson just walk by me and just snort and act like I yeah. don't even exist, and then really go, "Hey, how are you?" you know? But Johnson, if you go up to talk to him and ask him about something, he was fine. If you ask, wanted to ask him a yeah, question yeah, about, yeah. about how he's pitching or something else, he was fine. Yeah. He just gave off that air of "I don't want to talk to you," but if you need to talk yeah, to me, I will. And that's yeah. great. I mean, that's fine. And Will Smith was like that to a degree too. The closer. Yeah. Yeah. It was like that. I was just yeah, his personality. Made, if I was a player, I'd probably be like that. I don't know. Yeah, I might be. And you know, he the one thing oh, you, you wouldn't know, be. That's not your personality. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I so I found uh, Bowman's blog. Dave, am I read, allowed to read this on your podcast, or is <laughs> oh, that yeah. due promotion? Managing yep. the current Braves bullpen seems to equate to attempting to consistently win blackjack hands that consist of nothing but sevens and eights. You might occasionally prove fortunate when holding at 16, but far too often you'll find yourself gambling on whether to hit 14 or 15. <laughs> That's still one of my favorite leads. That's pretty good. That The fact that you sat in a press box one day on a Tuesday afternoon after clubhouse and thought of that is gold. Like the Sunday lead in Cincinnati, Bo? <laughs> Dave had a perfect one. His name was Adam Bernero. See how many starts he made. Dave, Dave might have made sure it was his last one. He said, there are a lot of great things to do on a beautiful Sunday afternoon walking Adam Bernero pitch. It's not one of them. <laughs> Somebody said B.J. Upton. I wouldn't say we, – we, yeah, we were unfortunate for B.J. and for us that we got him when he'd had a couple of good years in uh, – in Tampa, including an incredible postseason. He was incredible that yeah. postseason when they advanced deep, went to the World Series, right? Yeah. 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 He was great. Uh, he was not great with the Braves. They gave him, a, at the time, the biggest free agent contract they'd given, and it just it just didn't work out. He was bad. I mean, it's just not very good with the Braves at all. And it wasn't his personality. It The thing was, the talk, the interviews, they, they made the mistake of putting him I don't know who did this, but they had him sitting beside his brother and beside Jason, which seemed kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say it's racist because it wasn't racist. It wasn't meant to be that way, but it just looked bad having the three, you know, they're the black players. we got to put them together. But 
the problem was his brother had an incredible year for the Braves. So it was at times was incredible that year. Justin BJ had his worst year and their lockers were beside each other. So we'd go to talk to Justin about something great in the game. BJ's right beside him and BJ had a terrible game. Oh, for four, three strikeouts, whatever. Jason's right there, and they're right there on the tunnel of the hallway to the shower. So everybody's walking by. It just made for the most awkward interviews. And BJ, for whatever reason, in interviews was the quietest. It was almost like he and Justin had a contest to see who could talk the lowest volume. You'd have you'd go back up to transcribe. You could not hear it. That was when I took notes more than I typed t- t- uh, taped anyway. Thankfully, because you could not hear your interviews with with BJ. Oh, how he was like he whispered his answers. That was it. It was so both of them low whisper. No, but you know what? They were good guys. So, you know, they I, were I, good guys. It wasn't a personality yeah. thing at all. I'm not saying no. anything. It wasn't. No. They were both good guys. They really I were. Liked, I liked having them around. It's great to see his dad in the yeah. hallway every night. It was. It was. And Justin you know, at times was electric, man. Yeah. I mean, that guy had prodigious power. Uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that was a period, man. Yeah, yeah. It's, but you know what? There's a reason why the number of play brothers who've played together on teams is like a handful. It doesn't work. It almost yeah. never works. It yeah. sounds good and co- the concept of it. Oh, the brothers will be together. They can talk. But it, do you want to be with your brother 12 hours a day every day? No, most people don't. And that it's a different dynamic. And if one, it'd be great if both of them had great years. But when one of them's having his career worst year and the other's having a great year, it really makes things awkward, I thought. They probably didn't think it was awkward, but it was for us. How about when we covered Stephen Drew and J.D. Drew? I mean, (laughs) Stephen Drew and Dave, he said they'd drive into the ballpark together and maybe not even say a word to each other the whole way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was was another one. It just doesn't work. I mean, but anyway. Oh, okay. So I got a couple of things before, but just to talk about a few of these things. I went in and looked at, was looking at OPS, getting back to baseball here on the current team. Sean Murphy doesn't have quite enough plate appearances to qualify for rankings because as a catcher, you know, it's hard to qualify to get enough PAs. So I went to Fangrass leaderboard and I put in 300 and 350 plate appearances as the minimum. He's got exactly 350 right now. So with 300 as the minimum, the Braves have three of the top nine OPS in the majors, three of the top six in the NL, with Matt Olson at 1,000, Acuna at 995, Murphy at 922, which is 14 points ahead of Juan Soto. If you put in 350 as the minimum, it eliminates Jordan Alvarez. The Braves have three of the top six, or the top eight OPS in the majors. That is, I mean, we've talked about it all year, but that is absurd, man. Three of the top eight OPS in a 30-team league are on the Braves. That's incredible. It's, yeah, it's, it's stupid. I, I mean, it's yeah. Especially in the this offense ranks, and I'm like, it's the best one I've ever seen, man. Guys, let's take a quick break, and then we'll finish up the show. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. 
Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I can't remember. I mean, you guys have been covering them for longer, but I just don't. I think 2019 Astros, 2019 Yankees, like obviously right. the that Astro team is the closest, I think. But, like, but the Braves have more depth. Yeah. And it just feels like it feels like they've got more pop, even though I oh, think wow. that Houston team slugged 495 over the whole season. The Braves right. are at 503 heading into last night, I think, or so there was a graphic yeah. on the broadcast. Like 502. They would be the first team to ever slug 500 if they can hold on. And like it's just dumb. Like I know June was one month, but they in terms of like the home runs in that month plus the OPS, nobody ever had had a month like that. Like it they're doing things that nobody's ever done. I mean, maybe they're not going to get to eight guys with 20 plus homers, but the fact that they have, you know, six and one of them and is Rosario hit got another last night. Three, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, I just think it's yeah, the, these guys are incredible. And with the depth, I mean, how do you stop them? Especially because the book on them before used to be okay. Well, hopefully they strike out a lot, and they don't. They don't even do that anymore. <laughs> no, they don't. You're right. I mean, it's. Uh, it, it, and the thing is, if you were going to look at a team with these numbers, you would expect it to be a team that played half its home games at Cincinnati, Colorado, or even Houston with the with the left field with the Crawford boxes and all that. I mean, there's that's that can be a really good hitter's park too with the roof, you know, with the climate controlled and all that. You wouldn't expect it to be at a ballpark that plays fair in a division that really does not have team friend, hitter friendly ballparks. Mets is a fair park. Miami's still a huge park, even though they brought in the fences. Yeah. Philly is a hitter-friendly park. Uh, Washington's a fair park. I mean, so it's not like they're playing a division where there's a lot of hitter-friendly parks at all. Yeah, yeah. No, Which makes is, their numbers even more impressive. Dave, you saw both these offenses. So 1998, you're governor of Marlins, but you saw a lot of the Braves offense. That had that was Galarraga, yeah. you know, Chipper, Andrew. Um, I think Javi had a pretty, pretty good year. Um 2003, you definitely saw them the whole season. And that was Javi went 43 homers. Chef had a great year. Andrew Chipper, um, you know, across the board, it was, I mean, even even Franco and Fick, I may, might have combined for 20 homers there at right. first base or so. Um, that was, so I said to Smoltz the other night, you know, what do you think? Can this offense compare 
to 2003 or 1998, and he went like this. Like, not even close. He said, I've never seen anything like this in my lifetime. Right. And for Smoltz to say that, yeah, people who've watched, heard Smoltz enough for him to say that, yeah, because he is old school and he is protective of his guys and all that. For him to say that really says a ton. Yeah, this is, this is, it's incredible. I mean, there's so much to like about this offense and we focus on the power. But we went to Philadelphia there about a month or so ago. And you look at this lineup. You saw that Philadelphia has some, there's some power potential here. You know what also Philadelphia does? They, when they have a guy on first, there's a single, it's first and second. So rarely anyone in that Braves lineup can't go first to third. I mean, the team speed is such a difference maker, um, you know, between the Braves and so many other teams. The, 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 The ability to, you know, not only for Acuna uh, to steal bases, but for him and Michael Harris and, and Ozzie and so many others, uh, even Austin Riley's a pretty good base runner. Um, that to be able to take that that extra base whenever uh, they can. Yeah, their situational hitting has lagged at times. We've chronicled that earlier in the season. They'd have an 0 for 12 with the runners score musician game. But I mean, you cannot have a perfect offense, and this offense with its unbelievable power. And it's speed from three or four guys. I think more than offsets it, those advantages of being able to move a runner over. The no, they're not perfect as far as moving a runner over. But do you want them to try to be perfect? I don't think so. And Snit made that. And Snit and Sites obviously made that decision at some point. No, we don't want them to start focusing on moving the guy over. And on. this team swings for the fences and and hit, hits the ball over the fences more than anybody else ever has. You probably don't want to change who they are. Uh, it's hard to, to tweak that and make them perfect hitters. Yeah. yeah. Also, I mean, it we, we've chronicled a lot of the, you know, runners on second and third and them coming up small in those situations and losses. They're only what, however many losses at this point, that's one thing. And two, they have so many opportunities with runners in scoring position. And even when they don't right. have runners in scoring position, they have an opportunity with somebody at home plate because they have so much power that I yeah. just don't think like, I know in the postseason all that stuff is magnified, but they, they give themselves so many bites at the apple that I just don't think sometimes it matters. Like it's not the same as going one for six with the runners in scoring position when yeah. you leave seven guys on base and you lose by one. These guys are getting like, I mean, shoot, when we were in New York, didn't they have, I think it was, 10 or more hits for like six or seven straight games. Just like something yeah. stupid. Like they get straight games. It was 10 straight games. 10 yeah. Games. They give themselves so many bites at the apple that it almost negates that. So even if they're like, they finish even middle of the pack with runners in scoring position. And they've been a lot better at it lately too. Which right. A lot better. So say they finish middle of the pack. That's going to look a lot better contextually just because they give themselves so many shots. And even when there's nobody, you know, in scoring position or nobody on base, I mean, everybody in the lineup can homer. I, I don't know. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, just a, a, there's, there's, a, there's a handful of instances where, you you know, as a fan, you go, bun him over, that kind of thing. It's like, and when they don't do it and some other team does do it, you think, see, if the Braves could do that, but then you forget all the times where they just crush the ball, you know, that the Braves could do what other teams can't do from their seven, eight, nine hitters. I mean, it's just absurd. Uh, Bo, you're talking about that 98 team. The Braves offense is definitely better. Their bullpen, I think, is deeper. 
But who would you take as a team, the better team, that 98 team or this Braves team? That that team won 106 games. I think I would have to go with the 98 team only because Maddox, Lavin, Smoltz, Nagel in the rotation. You're talking about guys that had 251 innings, Maddox, 229 innings, Glavin, 210 innings, Nagel, 167 Smoltz, but he had a 290 ERA with 17 and three with 173 strikeouts. And that was the low end of the innings. I mean, yeah. Maddox was absurd. Yeah. Maddox had an 0980 whip. I mean, 222 ERA in 34 starts, 251 innings. I know the game's totally changed. Right, right. And you also would, and, and by the same token, people look at Maddox's strikeout totals and Glavin's strikeout totals. If they're pitching in today's game, they're striking out a hell of a lot more hitters than they did back then. Yeah. A lot yeah. more hitters. How many How many innings did Millwood have that year? Millwood's 174 innings and 31 starts, Twenty uh, 31 games, 29 starts. He had a 408 ERA, still won 17 games. Yeah. But he had 163 strikeouts and 174 yeah. innings. Yeah. I mean, it, that's, that's your number five. Yeah, that's your number five. I mean, he was a very good number. And then five. your bullpen, not as deep as this one, but you had Wollers closing. Or no, you had uh, Wollers. Right, right yeah, he was hurt. For, he was hurt for that part of that season. That's right. Um, Lightenberg. Lightenberg, yeah, had 30 saves. 30 saves and 34 opportunities. Um uh, Rudy Cienes, maybe. Rudy Cienes, yeah, 34 appearances, 275 ERA. John Rocker, 213 ERA and 47 uh, uh, appearances. He had 42 – Rocker had 42 strikeouts, 22 walks, and 38 innings. Mike Cather, Dennis Martinez. <laughs> Dennis <laughs> Martinez, 53 games, five starts. He had 91 innings that year. Wow. With 62 wow. strikeouts. How the game has changed. <laughs> Oh. Bruce Chen, Bruce yeah. Chen was up for my only briefly. Uh, Norm Charlton was hanging on. Now nah, that, that guy could drink beer. He oh man, it's thirty-five at that point. Anyway, he, Paul he only cared four beers after the game because he only had two hands. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. It's close, man. It's close between those two teams. Two great teams. That team disappointed in the postseason, obviously, but it was against yeah. the Mets team that, our Yankees team. That, anyway. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, but this offense, yeah, I'm with Smoltz. I don't think there's anything close. It's the best one I've ever seen or, or covered or seen in person. I, yeah. I, you know, I, I think of that Seattle offense in the kingdom, the team that won 117 games or whatever, and got upset in the postseason. that yeah. offense might be the closest thing to this as far as, but I don't even think they were as good up top to bottom. They just had like five guys that were. Yeah, especially when you, when you, when you think that Michael Harris, for the most part being down there in that, yeah, uh, playing hole has been what a nine sixty five, nine eighty, maybe even uh, right. go back to June third, whatever, whatever. He he's up, he's up above nine fifty OPS right. after that then. month. Yeah, nice. took him a month to get, get it together after the injuries. Yeah. I mean, he's been he's been phenomenal. Yeah, and, and not, a lot of people around baseball don't know yet because the OPS is still under eight hundred. But yeah, like you said, look at his from this date to this, and it's like whoa, he's better than he was last year. Every bit is good. Yeah, to think that. You know, you, as a pitcher, you're always looking for that time to take a breath. It's it's just not, not there. And then if you're hoping to take a breath there at the bottom of the lineup, it's you know, it's if RC is not getting the big hit and the Harris does, and now all of a sudden, 
instead of four or five plate appearances a night, Ronald Cooney is getting five or six plate appearances. You know, that's that's, a, that's, yeah. actually, that's a key for me is yeah. obviously there is no, there is no couple of batters where a pitcher can, okay, get it, gather myself and combine that with the pitch clock. And it is a whole different pressure on starting pitchers than it used to be facing this team in a pitch clock era. It's got to be exhausting for a starting pitcher. They can never relax, take a leisurely pace against this team. And the pressure that they put on them from the start of the game because of Ronald Acuna, and we'll get into this, but I was going to ask you guys who your MVP is right now because the MVP might be four guys from the Braves and the Dodgers. Right now it would be. In whatever order you want to take, Olsen, Acuna, Freddie, and Mookie are going to be the top four probably. And right now – Olsen has certainly entered this – you know how home runs are still glamorous to people. And if he hits 58 home runs, 60 home runs, 145 RBIs, he's going to get a lot of votes. Yeah. For me, I still right now – because I think if you watch the team every day, you have a different perspective than just looking at the numbers. I'm taking Acuna because I think this offense is totally different without Acuna because the pressure he puts on a starting pitcher from the first pitch is relentless with Acuna because he gets on base and all of a sudden he's at second and third before the guy can even blink. So a guy's in Brenner's scoring position all the time with Acuna. Yeah. You know what? Franco Franco Garcia uh, from PR there came up with a great stat last night. He said, came over about the fifth or sixth inning. He said, do you see anything uh, unique tonight? And I said, no. I'm just just kind of glancing. I said, no, I don't know what you're seeing. He goes, how about in the first thing when Ronald went down looking? His first time he went down looking in the first inning this year. I mean, the, what what he he's putting the ball in play. He has more extra base hits, I believe, in the first inning than he does strikeouts. I mean, mm-hmm. what he does there at the beginning of the game is just has been incredible. I mean, we've we've always said he's one of the you know such a great leadoff hitter. He 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 makes an impact every night. Yeah, it's relentless. We've we've asked everybody about the first inning thing all year, and you get a lot of shrugs and laughs and smiles, and people can't put their finger on it. I think you can kind of put your finger on it. I mean, it's number 13, some of it. I mean, I, yeah, I, I can't go against Acuna for this MVP, but I will say that I think if you were if you're willing to look at it and, I guess, parse it through, you could make a very good argument that you would rather have Matt Ol- that you couldn't take Matt Olson out of that lineup just in terms of the tough at bat with runners in scoring position and the things he does, especially at the end of games, being able to change the game with one swing. But I think in terms of Acuna doing things we haven't seen since Eric Davis, Ricky Henderson, like those sorts of things, the combo of power and speed, I think it's still got to be Acuna right now. But – as you said, Dave, I mean, yeah, if Olsen gets over 50, over, I mean. I might hit 60. Oh, no. yeah. And that, yeah. Sway, that persuade, and that last year when Otani, you can make an argument, should have won exactly. MVP. Exactly. Had arguably the greatest season ever because of the combined who won because of the 60 home runs. If he hits 57 home runs, he doesn't win that last year. And then what is Olsen hitting 55 to 60 home runs? What does that do to his OPS and his slugging? And the things that voters use to go down the line when they're comparing people, like a lot of those are going to sway. Eventually, if that were to happen, it's going to be how much weight do you want to put in the five tools in terms of power and speed um, versus, yeah, versus the run production. Well, 
fortunately for Acuna's case, so far the OPS hasn't dipped. It's still right up right. there around the thousand. So <laughs> it makes it easier than if it dipped to 900 or it makes it tougher call or easier to vote for Acuna if it stays up near a thousand when you got Freddie and Olsen up there at a thousand. If then if it went below like nine hundred, yeah. old, uh, old friend Freddie Freeman ain't going away though. No man, no. It's, it's going to probably be those three in the top uh, spots, the top three yeah, spots. It's going to be right now. It would be close. Yeah, I, I, it would be really close, especially between Olsen and Freeman. I yeah, think Acuna still wins it. Yeah, but I don't say that. I'm not convinced. I mean, I it's not going to surprise me. But there's a lot of time left. A lot of time. Oh, yeah. yeah. You could end thing. up going 40 80, man. I mean, if he goes 35 80 or 35 75, whatever it is, it's going to be unprecedented. Yeah. The the most, okay, so we, we're pretty sure he's getting to 30. So let's say he doesn't get to 40. He's already passed anybody who's gotten to 30. The highest stolen base figure for anyone who's gotten 30 is 52. I think that was. Eric Davis or, or Barry Bonds, one of the two. They're the only two that have even gone 30 50. And, and then, but Olsen would be the 10th person to ever hit or be the 10th time anyone's ever hit 60 homers. Okay, that's, that's pretty rare. But to think about what Ronald's doing, it, that's rare. And it, it, this, this is the treat that, you know, Braves fans and everyone across the league is getting. This is like 1961 where Mano and Maris, teammates that were going into, you know, rare air. These guys are going into rare air. It's different categories, but just to see this on a nightly basis, two players going to where virtually nobody has ever gone before is is quite exciting. The one different if 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 the even if the offensive numbers uh tightened and you're saying, do I go Acuna or Olsen, just the amount of times we've seen guys not take that extra base. Yeah, because I was going to say the hard. defense has been. I don't think. I don't think he's going to win a Gold Glove, but yeah. he's made some spectacular plays. Yeah, yeah, and just the, the, his presence and that third base coach saying nope. You know, more often than not, when when he's out there, that that has an impact on the game. I went to the FanGraphs value rankings. Those are always interesting for batters, all position players, because they don't do one where they combine Otani's hitting and pitching, at least I'm not aware of it. But for position players, all batters, Ronald Acuna leads the majors with 6.2 war. This is Fangrass. His value, I'm always amazed at the, how high these values are, but this is where they have 49.2 million value. And that's with, uh, what, six weeks left in the season. Yeah. That's not bad for a guy making 17 million this season and each of the next five seasons after this one, assuming the Braves pick up each of the last two years of that contract, then why in the hell wouldn't they pick up the last two years? <laughs> of that That's unless, of course, they renegotiate this thing along the way, perhaps add some years. I think they could tack on a few years at the back end of Acuna's thing, raise the AAV. If it starts to get kind of feel kind of awkward when guys are making if 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 most of the guys of his ilk are making forty million and he's making seventeen, I could see them doing something where, you know, and he's on the contract. He had total security. So last year when he blew his knee out, he still had that security, and this is nice, and that's why you do it. But I could see where the Braves, as a token to show how much we appreciate you and how much we want you to stay with us forever, could could tack on three years, bring the AAV up closer to twenty five million, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that. They're, he's getting paid for these years where the power and speed element is is at its best. Uh, right. You know, it's a, you know he'll have a feel for 
his value at you know at the end of this one, the Braves will. But yeah, that that makes sense, you know. But you know, when you're that when speed's a part of your game, you know, yeah. which you'll have yeah. a better feel of where you and you stand at, at the end of that that stretch there. And he'll be young enough, barring major injuries, he'll be young enough to get another huge contract too when he hits free agency, and he might be looking at it that way, you know. Yeah. So if the Braves are going to tack on some years, it'll have to be something substantial to make it worth his while, you know. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is that he'll get another bite at the apple. Yeah. Is I'm trying to think another uh, five, six, seven year deal. If if I mean when he hits free agency. Yeah, like same with Harris and Strider. Like if I'm Acuna and I'm not very clearly, um, I, my athletic ability does not come close to matching up. I think. I mean, if you're doing what he's doing this year and he repeats it. Maybe next year, not even repeats it, but has somewhat similar numbers the next couple of years. Uh, you know, what's to say you wouldn't just be thinking, man, I'm going to see how much I can get on the open market. You can still re-sign with the Braves if you really want to be in Atlanta. But he's, I mean, imagine, you know, Shohei, look at Shohei and look at Judge last year and Trey Turner. If I'm Acuna, I probably see what all those guys are doing and every winter what happens with the top players and man it just seems to be going up yeah. and up and i'm you know i'm i'm not sure if i you know the security is nice but yeah what's if you keep putting up similar numbers he could garner one of the largest free agent contracts ever um but you know the the big question is yeah at that at that age you know he's when not do, gonna be stealing 50 bases in five exactly. years yeah when does the when does the speed I mean, decline ricky anderson did but he's like the only one right <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe very different field. now with the, the pitch clock, I feel like, and this is nothing, not taking anything away from Ronald, but it's like, if you talk to pitchers, it is impossible to catch a guy like that stealing now. Like you just can't do it with like, you can't control the running game in the same way as you could. And so I think he's going to have 60 plus stolen bases. If he gets on base at the clip, he can, he'll have 55 stolen bases a year, at least for the next three years. So, his value is forty nine point two million right now, six point two WAR, at least the majors in those two things. Uh, Otani is second, position player value six point one WAR, forty eight point nine. Oh, and also he's the best starting pitcher on the team. Uh, <laughs> he's just ahead of Freddie at six point one and forty eight point six million. Don't ask me how they compute this, but you know they know a lot, have a lot more about this than I do. Olson is eighth on that list, four point seven WAR, thirty seven point six million, and Murphy, Sean Murphy. Is 4.2 war, $33.5 million values, 15th in the majors on that list. Wow. For a guy, for a catcher who's playing two out of three days, you know, that's at the start yeah. of his contract with the Braves. So that's roughly $120 million right now, this year so far, out of Acuna, Olsen, and Murphy with six weeks left in the season. Murphy is making $4 million this year. Olsen's making twenty-one. Acuna, again, is making $17 million. Total of forty-two million dollars for those full season salaries this season. Yeah, that'll do. The Murphy story is a, a fun one because don't you guys remember that that December day we were talking to Alex on that Zoom after, and it was like uh, I think Bo, I think you asked the first question. And he was like, "Yeah, like, of course, like defense is obviously his calling card. We think there might be a little more in the bat." And like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's been the. Well, you know, one of the best hitting catchers, you know, if not the best uh, in, in baseball to this point, depending on the plate appearances you decide to mash it up with. Oh, yeah, he's the best right now. I asked and I asked uh, Alex uh, when he was OPS and like, you know, 950 or, you know, I, I was like, Alex, we're like over a third of it waiting to the season now. I mean, if he OPS is 
900 with his defense. And Alex went, I said, even if the OPS is like, hey, I think I said 850. And Alex said, if he OPS is 750 and plays this defense, that would be good. Mm-hmm. That'd be okay. That's what we're looking for, you know? So you look where he is and it's like, wow, it's yeah. phenomenal with the defense he had. And like you said, the numbers are a little skewed as far as stolen bases, throwing out guys. It's hard to throw out guys, even when you got a hose like he does. When when, yeah. when pitchers just can't hold them like they used to be able to. Yeah, he. Um, yeah, no, I know. I think uh, Murphy brings up that that whole topic brings up a larger point to me of just like the player development there. Um, because I was somewhere, you know, on a previous beat for a couple of years where it was like sometimes, you know, things would happen to guys and they'd be inexplicable, and like that happened with the Mets this year. I think it just goes to show how difficult it is to to develop players like the Braves have. Like, I don't think it's any secret that they trusted Orlando Arce and obviously saw a little bit in him, but he's doing this. Like, it's probably there's probably no secret sauce with the Sean Murphy thing either. Like, or Travis Darno finding his way, you know, more so. This here. is ca- this catcher's heaven here with yeah. Sal They've they've established a catching culture here that is unequaled in baseball. Right, right, and then even like what you see with a guy's swing, like. Nicky Lopez or or like Pilar and spots or Hilliard when he had that good two weeks, like they, they just get the most out of players. Some organizations do some organizations do not. Uh, but yeah, like the, the catchers here, I mean, to be as good as they have been on both sides of the chalk this year is pretty, pretty insane. The, to have all these guys outperforming contracts. I mean, you can count on one hand, you can count on two fingers if there is even anybody that's underperforming their contracts. These guys are all outperforming their contracts. Whereas you go to some of these teams with the huge payrolls and they might have two guys that are outperforming their contracts and the rest are way under. And a lot of that, I think goes back to that culture. We were talking about the chemistry. You're getting these guys to sign these team friendly deals that you're not going to get if they don't want to be here. If they don't absolutely want to play here, they're not going to sign a team-friendly contract. Yeah, and, and also, um, I think the thing, like, that people don't understand, like, uh, you know, Mets fans or Phillies fans or, or Nationals fans, the, the people who hate the Braves, is, like, on a player like Michael Harris or Spencer Strider, maybe not so much with Strider, but for Harris and um, Murphy, guys like that, like, they're taking a considerable amount of risk. In these guys by signing them to long-term deals if it doesn't work out like it doesn't yeah. look good or like austin riley for 10 years like i know 21 million is not you know the most money you know the biggest av in the world especially in these days when it's going up and that'll look like a bargain and even more so in five years but i mean they take a considerable amount of risk in building their roster and kind of handcuffing themselves in the future if, if things don't work out um but yeah it's it's wild because you mentioned dave like underperforming contracts the the seat the player that fans seem to have the most issue with this year in the lineup is Eddie Rosario. He's and I mean he's he'll probably hit twenty homers, and he he's only making nine million. Yeah, exactly. So like, yeah, so you'll exactly. I think you'll take a seven hundred plus OPS, um, and you know a batch of twenty homers or whatever, uh, while batting seventh, um, for for nine million. No doubt. I mean. If that's your weak spot in your lineup and that's your only weak spot, that that's pretty damn good with a guy hit 20 home runs and hit it out of the park at any time. <laughs> and they may face the Dodgers in the postseason. So you know, exactly. Dodger killer, man. A menace. 
Yeah. So they have all that. So many guys outperforming their contracts. It's just unheard of. And just look around the league at these, at these, at, at the teams that so few teams have that many guys that are performing up to the, their contracts are outperforming them that it's a, uh, it's crazy. Um, at the peak of their contracts, those three guys I mentioned that are up there, Murphy and, and uh, Olsen and Acuna, the three of them at the peak of their deals will make a combined, the highest they'll make together is $54 million. That's the three salaries combined at their peak, 17 mil for Acuna, 22 mil for Olsen. This season, Olsen's getting 22. Each of the next five seasons, he's making 22 million. Yeah. Then he's got a $20 million team option tacked on at the end at 2030 when he'll be 36 if the Braves pick it up. And a peak salary of fifteen million for Murphy each year, for twenty five from twenty twenty five through twenty twenty eight or twenty twenty nine, if they pick up the fifteen million dollar option on his at the end of it. So that's not even talking about the ridiculously club friendly deal that Ozzy Albies is on. Hmm. Seven million this year, seven million each of the next two seasons in twenty four twenty five, seven million dollar team options in twenty six and twenty seven for Ozzy Albies. He, he and he and RC are making nine million together. It's, yeah. I, I yeah. think they could rip up Ozzy's too, or not rip it up, but I think they could add a couple of years to his on the back end. Maybe do it at the same time as Acuna, like you signed them together. Add a few years to add a little AAV to it. Um, but I mean, it's just yeah. They've they've Alex and Dopolis, I don't think it can be overstated what he has done with the a set the blueprint that other franchises are now trying to. They're trying desperately, and in most cases, they've gone too far with some of these players. They're not. You got to get them when they're so young. When they're, you got to identify them. Yeah. Go. I want him. I want Harris. He's three months into his major league career. We're going to sign him to this hundred million dollar deal. Strider's less than a year in his deal. We're going to sign him to. You got to take that risk, that gamble, and not care what anybody thinks. Not be worried about what the union thinks. Get these guys while they're young, and that you know, and it's worked so far. Every. Every contract's a gamble in some ways, but I'd rather gamble on that engine that's pretty new than that one that's, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to bet on that 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 horse that's running its three hundred race. You know what I mean? Right. Well, I want, bet, I want that, that early thoroughbred there. So. You'd rather bet, you know, yeah. the seventeen million a year on Acuna, the whatever it is on Ralston Riley, twenty million, than the forty three million on a forty year old pitcher. Yeah, yeah. Or Even if it's a short deal. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, or you know, spend a couple of them. I can't 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 get too many forty million dollar forty year old pitchers. <laughs> um, I was going to ask you guys uh, about MVP, and we already went over that. Uh, Cy Young. Oh man, it is as wide open as I can remember it in some time for six weeks left in the season. Because right now, if you look at it, would yeah. Blake Snell or Justin Steele win the damn Cy Young? I think so. Steele's got a 279 ERA. I think his 13 and 3 record for the Surgeon Cubs would probably put him ahead of the ERA leader, which is who is Snell at 265. Snell's 10 and 8 for the underperforming Padres. Steele has a better whip, 117 to 116 for Snell. Snell's got the 194 opponents average to Steele's and 176 strikeouts in 136 innings. Much better than Steele's 248 and 120 strikeouts in 126. But you could also make a case for Merrill Kelly, 305 ERA, 116 whip. Zach Gallon, 12 and 5, 325 ERA. Logan Webb, 326 ERA, 107 whip. Majors leading 136, 163 innings. 
And then you got your boy, Spencer Strider, there lurking. He's got his ERA. I think now that he's got his ERA well under four against 375, he's 13 to four, 375, but he's got this ridiculous 217 strikeouts in 139 innings. It, that, yeah. Spencer could be a dark horse for sure. He's He's got some work to do in terms of getting the ERA down a little bit, but uh, and avoiding the long ball. Uh, here's what with Snell. Like, if I were a voter, I would look very hard at, um, and I don't know off the top of my head, I don't have them up here. I would look very hard at uh, the FIP and the expected ERA and things like that, because I know that his whip is always, he's always a guy that's given up a lot of base runners and like right. letting a lot of people reach base. He can negate it with the strikeout when he's at his best, but I feel like that's just always who he's been. Like, he'll walk some guys, like, he'll kind of toe the line, he gets yeah. out of it. Yeah. At his best, he does. At his worst, he doesn't. It feels like a less dominant two six five than other people put up, and I guess that's you know I hope that doesn't take anything away from him because he's still having a great season. But I just think I would be I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of falls off a little bit uh, the rest of the way, just because I think that sometimes he, I mean, every time I've seen him pitch against the Braves, like he's always in these precarious situations. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah. think Spencer Strider, man. His number, I think he's more than a dark horse. I think because I think the strikeouts just kind of warp the whole prism. Right. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. 217 strikeouts, 45 walks, and 139 innings that just jumps off the page. And he's got a 112 whip and a 213 opponent's average, which are both really solid. So the ERA is really the only thing that would even raise a, a little bit of a red flag, but it's not like it's 420 or anymore, you know, 375. If he gets it around 35, and he's got 300 strikeouts. I don't know, man. I, and, and and the wins are there, too, for somebody that still looks at that. But the strikeouts in that ERA, I, I, yeah, the strikeouts are going to, I think, uh, get some votes for him for sure. He's got a good yeah. chance. Yeah. What are we thinking? Maybe nine or ten more starts for Spencer. He gets that ERA down, low threes, high, you know, twos. Um, if you look at it, the expect, you know, once you get to the voting – you, know, you don't look at FIP or expected ERA or any of that stuff. I don't think. Once you get to the it, voting, you don't. Right. Once you get to the voting. But if you look at this right now and you say Spencer's expected ERA, I think it's like 3.08. That's that's the top uh, in National League. You can use that now and say, okay, so are these next 10 starts, he's the one that's trending in, you know, he's trending in the right direction or he's if he keeps doing what he's doing, you know, he's going to uh, pitch to this level. Um, yeah, I – I think Spencer's in it right now. If you had to vote, no, it's it, it's not. But but the ten, nine, ten starts from now, uh, what what he can do to get a a three hundred strikeout? Yeah, well, your three hundred strikeouts. Yeah, it and everybody yeah. else is at like one seventy. Yeah. It's like yeah. whoa. <laughs> yeah. More importantly, for the Braves, right now, because we're looking at if you're looking at ten days ago, you're going. Ah, there's there's some red flags being raised with the Braves because they're starting pitching. But if you look at the last week, they've kind of reset this whole thing. And if you look at Charlie last night, people that jump off the Charlie bandwagon and start poo-pooing his $20 million contract, never mind what he's meant in the clubhouse, which, which we know is huge. But if he pitches like he did last night, that curveball, he was so locked in, it's unhittable. He made Judge look silly. And he 10 strikeouts, one walk last night. Seven scoreless. Uh, the start after walking seven. So it's like, 
I love, love his pedigree, his postseason history. I love him, the, the fact that you know he's not going to be at all wowed by that. If you if if Charlie's your number three, and you can get free because free coming back, there was you know you always had some question in the back of your head how good is free going to be after missing that much time. Well, he's been for the most part rock solid. I know the numbers aren't terrific, but watching him, he looks like free. The other night it was so hot that uh, you know, I, I freed Strider and Morton, and then if Elder pitches like he did for most of the season, and then again the other day, it's a good decision to have to make. I, I like the starting pitching again all of a sudden, whereas a week and a half ago, I was a little worried about how they were trending in that direction. But um, their offense is so overwhelming that if the starting pitching is good, they're, they're odds-on favorites to me yeah. to win the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. If their starting pitching is good. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to see it over another yeah. couple weeks. Still, yeah, not just a week. Because, yeah, because I the all-star break, the numbers since the all-star break are a little bit concerning. Yeah. Uh, but Dave, one thing you mentioned is so in the back of my head, I've just been like, and I, you know, as we all do, like I love Kyle Wright. Like you want to see everybody, you want to see everybody succeed. I don't know how much you can rely on him giving you, yeah. especially if he's not back until the second half half of September. But maybe it doesn't matter because of what you mentioned. Because I still think yeah. like, and I know we've talked about this in the press box or in the tunnel post game before, like. I still think Charlie can be that guy in the postseason. Like, I still think because of what you mentioned, man, he knows what he's doing. He knows who he is. And the stuff has proven to still be elite. Like, I still think he can do that. In the pandemic season. Exactly. And so, I mean, even if Kyle doesn't come back to the expected level or or doesn't become a factor this season, I still think you can look at Max Fried, Spencer Strider, Charlie Morton and be like, Okay, yeah, I feel pretty good about that because if those guys are decent, you hope your offense scores six runs. Because you only need four starters, and really, after getting past the first one with the with the days off and everything, you really can get by with three, especially if you have a great bullpen. If you have a deep bullpen, we got to remember when the Braves won the World Series, they they had two bullpen games throughout the LCS and the World Series. They would do some bullpen games, and starting rookies were like, "Are you kidding me? He's starting the World Series." <laughs> So to worry about their starting pitching now kind of seems ridiculous when you think right. about 2021 when their offense wasn't nearly what it is now. I know they were treeing out, as you say. They were playing great offense, but it wasn't anything like this one is. You just had a lot of guys that <laughs> Rosario went berserk against the Dodgers. Jock Peterson went berserk with the pinch hits against uh, the Brewers. But their offense wasn't anything like it is now. And they had like three incredible relievers, but they didn't have the depth they have now in the bullpen. I don't know. I don't know. With the off days, you really only have to have three really good starters in the postseason. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, they started Dylan Lee with two innings, but those were two incredible innings he had yeah. thrown in his life before that start. <laughs> Tucker Davidson. <laughs> Tucker Davidson. Incredible. Yeah. I mean, that's it. You know. I, I joked the other day about Kyle Wright, but I said that he uh, he'll either come back in the second half of September or start Game Five of the World Series. One, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't put it past him because when he's healthy, he's damn good. But yeah. man, that's going—he's going to be a rush job for sure. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just like I said, I I talked to him a week or so ago when he threw that first bullpen, and he kind of laid out the schedule, and I said, okay, well then that's mid-September, and he said, no, early September. Yeah, I mean. Okay. <laughs> the look Chavez, at- Chavez could help too. He give him even more depth yeah. if he can get back to what he was before the injury. Chavez was great before the injury. That's yeah. another high leverage guy, and 
then you can have a quick hook on that number three starter. If he's sucking in the second inning, pull him out. You got if you've got five guys you trust in that pen, do it. How about how about Johnson? I mean, Pierce Johnson, how good has he been in the damn good? So, that was a great pickup. And, and we weren't guy. really that surprised when they made that trade. We pointed out, yeah. even though he had a six ERA, his numbers right. were actually good, especially away from Coors Field. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean and, and the adjustment, Eric O'Flair's talked about it's not just the splits. It's the adjustment going from Coors Field to pitching elsewhere. And then you go back, and the way you're breaking ball, especially if a guy that has great breaking ball, it's so right. different. So it takes you a couple of days go, leaving there and coming back to get adjusted to the different environment. Your breaking ball just doesn't behave the same way. No. No, no. I think – and look, Snit's not going to manage those games in October like he's managed games in, in right. August and July. Like they, I think they do have a really deep bullpen – uh, Jesse to me screams opener if they ever need one, um, especially with McHugh maybe not having the season that we yeah. expected him to have. Uh, but yeah, like yeah, I, no, I, I mean, <laughs> this offense is so ridiculous that I think sometimes, sometimes I tend to almost start to think that the pitching is moot if they just pitch decently, like they're gonna be fine. But yeah. I know it doesn't work that way. It's pitching and defense in the postseason, and look like there's gonna be. There's gonna. This is one of those times we always ask ourselves: How often does the best team in the league, the clear best team, win the World Series? And this is gonna be one of those times the Braves are gonna, you know, be up against it, being that you know the most hyped team, the best team going into October as it looks right now, and um, you know, see if they can do it. But it's just it's kind of a crapshoot, which doesn't do it, it good is, baseball absolutely. teams justice. And, and you know what I like though about these starters, even though even the times they've had some dip in performance or whatever. Swing and miss stuff plays in the postseason. It's big. And the Braves have had seasons where they did not have great swing and miss stuff, even when they had some great pitchers. They didn't strike out a lot of guys. Those are the toughest pitchers to face in the postseason. They've got right now their starters are second in the majors in strikeouts, tied with the Phillies for second in the majors with 646 behind only the, the Marlins. So, I mean, they got swing and miss stuff. Even and, and that's all three of those guys – even though Elder's not a big strikeout guy, he's got such ground ball tendencies that he kind of offsets that too. But but Charlie and uh, Strider, nobody I don't think has got a one-two like that as far as swing and miss stuff when Charlie's curveball's locked in. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, I think it's it's a solid number three. I mean, we did, we saw it last year. The Braves could have been bidding for a third straight World Series title this year had Max and all got in the virus and, and Strider the oblique. That, Absolutely. That team, changed team everything. Had, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not making excuses. It just changed no, everything. No. Watching them, they were not good. Oh, Strider yeah. was great for two innings, and then he just ran out of gas. And Freed yeah. just was not himself at all. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a matter of, of having the, you know. Same thing can happen this year. you got to stay yeah. healthy. Although yeah, their offense is so good this year, they, they could win some games like they have eight to six, you know, even if the starter – and the bullpen is deep enough that, like you said, Snit's going to manage him differently. He's not. Some people complain he sticks with guys too long right now. That's because the regular season is different than the postseason. He's not going to be sticking with guys too long in the postseason. No, no. This yeah. is, right now, this is about you know the starting pitching. You want to get results, and you know, but you you want to have them pitch deep enough into the game that your bullpen doesn't get worn out over the last six weeks. Yeah, that you're basically just. You know, yes, you're trying to win games, but at the same time, you're managing a bullpen and making sure those those guys are ready for October. 
What do you think Snit will do this year? We'll wrap it up here. But I, I think that Snit will handle the layoff this time differently. I know Snit's a laid-back guy. He wants the guys to relax and all this stuff. I think he's got to do like Jim Leland one year when he was managing the Tigers. They had a huge layoff. I think you got to have a couple of kind of high level or more intensity in some uh, inner squad scrimmage type things in that break, that six day, five, six day break. Because I don't think you can just keep the guy's arms fresh and all that and then have the offense just click it, and turn it back on. I think you got to have some inner squad scrimmage full on, guys hitting live pitching. You got to do something to keep it going. And not just expect yeah. to flip the switch and go back into that mode. We saw the Braves do that under Bobby Cox many yeah. times. Clinch early, just weren't the same team in the postseason. They didn't have yeah. the same intensity other teams had. They and they they've got they've got a year of I guess data now right. or, or a year of experience. But yeah, I, I, like that's the worst thing in baseball. Don't get me wrong; I loved watching the wild card series as like a baseball fan and somebody yeah. who wants extra postseason baseball. Like that was really fun. And oh, by the way, like. A World Series team came from the Wild Card Series, and you know, almost lost the first game of the Wild Card Series. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that five day layoff, especially if you clinch earlier in September, yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be tough. I, I mean, I you would have to think they would have to have some more high level like live BPs or inter squad scrimmages, like things like. I mean, th- th- there's no you can't just keep guys for. I don't know. I guess it's a balance though, because then you want those pitchers to have the rest. But I think even the pitchers feel like it's tough to come from a layoff and throw your bullpens and then just immediately throw in a game. So, like, maybe that intra-squad, maybe there's ways to shuffle it where, like, you're getting relievers semi-regular outings during that five-day right. thing. I don't right. know. I mean, I think – but the year – got to do something. Because yeah. it's a long layoff, especially if you clinch early. Like, last year the Braves clinched for all intents and purposes mm. against the Mets, even though they still had to go to the Marlins and win one. So they basically clinched on that Sunday night. So the layoff was a lot longer than the actual. It was another three or four days than the actual layoff because they went down to the Marlins and it was like they didn't play anybody the next day or they won the thing and then they didn't play anybody. But it was like it was a given. It was done after that Sunday night. That's a long layoff. And then to go while the other teams are playing in front of huge crowds and all this. And then a week later, you're like, okay, let's flip the switch and go back to what we were doing a week ago. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, you know, there's a way to, to, have fun with that with the players, the fans. You could bring open the stadium. Have you know they could watch the live BP. Yeah, bring all your A-listers in. That could be a nice perk for the A-listers. Bring them in. You know for everybody <laughs> off yeah. the street. Put put Georgia on that if it's Saturday afternoon on the big board afterwards. I mean, I think I think there's a way to to you know it, it's nice for the players to sit back and relax, but you could do four or five innings. You know, like a live BP. Just have the music playing and keep yourself just kind of in that that groove. With know? the battery and the summer weather and all that, if you opened up that thing and said and said on Twitter, you know, the break, we're going to have an Interscott scrimmage, everybody's welcome, they'd have 10, 15,000 people in there. Oh, yeah. Easy. Easy. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. I you heard you the story. This way. Way. Yeah. Was telling us, remember, go ahead. Go ahead, Justin. No, 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 no. You're good. Snit was telling us. No, everyone still was telling us how during COVID – the guys that lived there in uh, the battery, or they they play in front of an empty stadium, and they'd walk back to their their places, and all the restaurants and bars are full, and they're thinking, yeah. you know, look, that's that that's how it's going to be on a weekend, anyhow. Yeah, they bring more people into the stadium. Uh, yeah. You know, that battery does does fine, uh, especially you know when there's football on, you know, there in the fall. So bring them into the stadium and enjoy the day that day. Somebody said winning the division is going to early going to let you set your pitching starters and relievers. 
Okay, we've seen that, though. Some of us are old enough to remember when Bobby Cox had time to reset the rotation and all that, and it didn't usually work out. I'd rather my guys – we've seen the Marlins win the World Series twice as wild cards. Right. When you're pushed all the way to the end, it's just an advantage, more so than being able to reset and get a little rest. I really don't think – I think that's overdone. Just like these guys want to play every day. They feel better when they play every day and they can work their way out of slumps and all that. I don't think – I just don't think catching your breath in the last two weeks of the season, getting out of all your routines, I don't think it benefits you in the long run. I think being pressed – and they've got plenty to play for because they're playing for the best record. Having home field advantage all the way through the World Series over, say, the Astros or the Rangers is a huge deal. Like A.J. Mentor said to me, we don't win the World Series in 21 if we don't have world, uh, home field advantage over the Dodgers probably. And they had that even though they won 88 games. The Dodgers won 106. The Dodgers didn't win the division, so the Braves had home field advantage in the LCS. It's a huge deal. Which mm-hmm. that's that's hilarious. I'm glad I'm glad they changed that aspect of it. It was good because it worked out for the Braves, but I mean that was insane that the Dodgers won 106 games yeah. because another team won 107. Yeah. Uh, they no, I, I the one thing I wanted to go back to is the powers that be for those five days. It'll be interesting to see how they handle it because, and you, you know, we hear this in any sport, but man, imagine if somebody during that five innings of live BP or inter squad or whatever, imagine if someone pulled something or something happened to a hitter on a swing. Like you're always balancing the injury risk with that stuff and, and, you know, not having to increase the workload. But no, I, I think I agree with you, Dave. I mean, I think anecdotally, it does feel like those teams that are have their backs against the wall for like most of the second half are the ones that just go into the postseason playing like that. Yeah. And they're just playing so free and so loose because they're playing with house money the entire time. So I've seen it happen repeatedly. Yeah. Wild wild cards going to the World Series. I mean, it's happened multiple times. And teams that win 88 games like the Cardinals did that year. Whereas opposed to the Braves had a lot of 100-win seasons where they petered out in the postseason. Yeah, and that Braves team in 21, it's like you lose Acuna, you don't get over 500 until August yep. 7th, 8th, 9th, whatever you're on it was. that roll, and you kept and it then, going. Yeah, and then we'll you break. got to roll, and then you get in the postseason, you're playing with house money because you're like, yeah, we've lost Acuna, patched the outfield up with a few outfielders, weren't supposed to be here. And they were I think so full of confidence. Game. They were so yeah. full of confidence. They didn't care how many wins they'd had during the season. They knew they were playing the best baseball. They could beat anybody. They knew it. Right. And I think maybe this year, I think, I guess you use, I, I mean, I guess you use that race for home field advantage maybe is, is something similar because you're not going to be tested in division. Like I, I you know, I guess not going to field advantage, advantage man, through the LCS. Exactly. Yeah. And um, I, I just. Those Dodgers with 50,000 in that place. That, that's a tough place to play, man. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's. Uh, and that, so is Truist Park with 40. 2,000, 43,000. It's a very tough place to play. And an offense that isn't going to keep those fans sitting for, you know, a very long time. And the battery where they have to close it because there's so many people there. I mean, it's quite an environment they've got now. It's incredible. It's so incredible. they got plenty to play for. They got plenty to play for down the stretch, man. Plus, you just want to be playing your best. It's, uh, I couldn't believe looking out there at that battery one of those nights and just, you know, over – just. You couldn't see cement. Yeah. <laughs> it was just a, a sea of people. 
Uh, yeah, like 97, I covered the Marlins team that uh, won the wild card. They go into the postseason. Yeah, they had help from the ump in the LeVon Hernandez game, no doubt. But they went into that postseason on a roll. They had traded for Darren Dalton, who changed the culture in the clubhouse. They went into the postseason with so much confidence. They had to play the Braves. They knew they could beat the Braves, even though the Braves had won the division year after year after year. The Marlins were confident the way they were playing. They could beat the Braves, and they did. They lost Alex Fernandez to a shoulder injury, and they just kept going. They didn't even care. And they carried that all the way through, won the World Series. So, I mean, so I saw it then. And then I saw, like you said, the Braves in 21 get on that roll. You, when you're watching a team that feels that good, you know this is special. It's just you got to go into the postseason on a roll or establish it right off the bat. It's just different when you see that. And you didn't see that last year when that Braves team with injuries and just they did not ever get clicking. And before you know it, they're out. <laughs> yeah. Right. And that Phillies yeah. play. And the Phillies now also, also a cauldron of a home field advantage now. Oh, yeah. That was loud last year. Yeah, it was that Hoskins home run. I think was the first time I ever felt a baseball stadium shake like that. They're playing good ball too, man. They could easily get into this thing. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You got Wheeler and Nola, and yeah, yeah. You, you, yeah. They could Lorenzo now. They, they might be the moves. only pitching staff that I that one through three starters has as good or better than the Braves. The Brewers is often good too, but I, I the Phillies you can make that argument with the national in yeah. the National League and the Dodgers, but Braves is right up there. If, the, if they're pitching like they are right now. Yeah. All right. So, anyway. All right. That's it. We've gone on. I kept you guys longer than I said I would. I really appreciate it, man. Thanks for jumping on, guys. Hope everybody enjoyed it. And uh, we'll do it again, maybe down in the postseason or something, if we have time. But that was fun. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody. 755 is real. We're out.